Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everybody. It's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Okay, welcome to the Mallard Report this evening. I hope everybody's well. My guest tonight is Christina Miles, the CEO and founder of Equip and author of What It Is Costing You Not to Listen, a Hershey, Pennsylvania native. Yay, one of the sweetest towns in Pennsylvania. Okay, that was a bad one. Uh, <laughs> Christina has been serving organizations by helping them apply human skills to drive results and build cultures of empathy. She has been involved with this work, type of work for more than 30 years. Christina, welcome to the Mallard Report. How are you doing tonight? Very good. How are you doing? Pretty good. So I'm from Western Pennsylvania. I didn't know if you knew that or not. So any time no, any, we get another Pennsylvanian on the the ratings go way down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad I could be here for you. I appreciated the yay, by the way, because I always think of the comet. I waited in line at Hershey Park many a time to ride the comet, and then when I worked there, I could fast pass it. So I like the yay. It reminds me of that. Well, you know, you know Pennsylvania gets such a bad rap for being a steel si- well, especially Western Pennsylvania. Of course, Hershey's more Eastern, but we'll, I'll claim it for this. Mm-hmm. You know, the the rust and the dirt and all this other stuff. And then you got a Hershey, and it smells like chocolate, and there's uh, Hershey Kiss lights, and it just takes you to a whole different place. So I'm it's always a, It's a little bit of magic. Yeah, it's a little bit of magic. So talk to me about the the, uh, the book for a minute, because I'm sure we're going to devolve into other things, and I'll make sure we get the book out there, what it is costing you not to listen. So what prompted you to write that, and... What's it about? Well, it's it's based on the work I've been doing for, for all of my career. What prompted me to, to write it was really the pandemic. One of the things that I've been fighting a lot of my career is how much listening makes a difference and getting people's time and attention on the development of the skill of listening because there's, there's zero years of education on listening in our school systems from elementary school through executive leadership programs. So... My, my, I knew that, that people were going to be hurting even more so after the pandemic. And I believed that the world was going to be a little bit more ready, the business world in particular, hopefully schools too, to, um, to be ready to listen about listening. So it's also why I named it the problem rather than the solution, because we're not seeing that we have this major problem because again, we're not taught how to listen or what it's even supposed to look like. So something we're expected to do, but we're not taught how to do. So maybe maybe we need to start with um, what seems obvious to me, but maybe not everybody. 
What is listening? Well, that's a great question because, again, I think there's a lot of definitions to what it is. I think what's most known about listening, well, first of all, it, it is a skill. I think we treat it like it's a sense, like, hey, listen up. <laughs> You're told to listen from an early age. If I hear, you know, I hear a lot, people say, well, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's all about the sense of hearing. That's really not listening. So we know that we're supposed to be doing more of it than talking, but because we teach people how to tell, talk, no, that's what we do through all the educational, we're wondering why they're talking twice as much as they're actually listening. So that's, that's the first thing. What most people think about when they think about listening, they think about something called attentive or active listening. How do you show somebody that you're actually listening? And that attention means I'm paying attention. And I, you know, that's been the gold standard. It's what's most known. It's still misunderstood, but I, it's the beginning. But I think it's it's really not enough to just say, "Hey, I'm paying attention to you by showing you that I'm listening." What what I believe and what we teach at my company is really how to listen in a more compelling way, a transformational way, which is to listen to understand, to understand the meaning, to understand the person telling and talking and really to understand the message and the story. So I believe I'm a better listener today because of the show, because obviously I'm listening to you talk and trying to come back with a question, but how does that, I mean, you're saying you're teaching people. So how do you, I'll be a prime example. I'll offer myself on the, on the bus, under the bus here. How, how do I still become a better listener? Well, I, you probably have become a better listener from doing this show Really, the principles of great listening start, I believe, with journalists, because the first journalists are storytellers. They have to go out. You're getting my story, right? Uh, so you have to be able to help people tell the story. Well, before they can tell a story, they have to gather or get the story. And that's really about listening. They go out and interview people. They, they collect information. They collect things. And by gathering that, they become the best kind of storyteller, which, again, I'll get up on my soapbox a little bit. You know, when storytelling is particularly in the business world kind of broke out as the, you know, the, the best way to communicate, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you want to tell somebody something, there's no better way to tell it than by telling a story. But I thought we had it wrong because if you can't get a story or know how to listen and really gather it, how do you know how to tell it? So that, that's the first thing. We kind of have to identify what the problem is. And the problem is, what does good listening look like and what should it be? Rather than you're, you're figuring it out, but you're still winging it, right? You're still kind of guessing because you probably, have you ever had any listening training, Jim? No, Just out of no, curiosity. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So I, I thought I knew the answer to that, but about 2% of people do have some sort of listening training. And it's usually when we pare it down, you know, it's, it's either, you know, a day or two best case scenario. Usually it, it goes down to, a, a, you know, a couple hours because it's usually part or inserted into another aspect of some sort of training they got. So, again, a whole other problem. So it's a skill we're expecting to, to know how to do but not really taught. So, so the metaphor and how we teach it, and this is in the book, the book is truly the guide to understanding the problem but also giving you the solution. Uh, so that solution is, you know, the, the metaphor is you wouldn't go hiking or backpacking in the woods for a couple weeks expecting to get one side of the mountain to the other without tools or supplies in your backpack. You, you wouldn't make it safely uh, over the mountain and survive. So the conversations are, are very similar. We're going in unprepared. 
We have no tools to really navigate. There's a lot of danger in the woods of the conversation. Our brain's an enemy of listening. There's a lot of side trails that we can get lost in conversations, a lot of things that interfere with that skill. So when you are prepared with the, the tools that we provide, it helps you stay on the, the main path to get safely to the other side of the conversation and to the story. So that's really how to do it. Put the tools in your backpack, and then the story comes to you and the listening comes to you rather than having to just white-knuckle it. So, okay, let's get after it, duckpawnshop.com. Let's get after it, duckpawnshop.com. Okay, so it's funny that we're having this conversation tonight because this morning people are going to laugh at me. I was scrolling TikTok, like I do, and I can't remember the guy's name. That's not important. But he was saying about how companies for too long have relied on hard skills, stuff that's really mm-hmm. easy to teach, and they're not teaching soft skills because, men. this is going to sound horrible, but we're going <laughs> to go there because men have yeah. largely dominated corporate America. When it comes to mm-hmm. soft skills, don't want to hear, don't even hear about it because it doesn't impact the bottom line, even though it would mm-hmm. save billions of dollars across, you know, if mm-hmm. we listen more and cared more and all this other stuff, which is some of the, we're going to get an empathy here in a little bit. But I was just blown away by that. And then I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to mention this tonight. And then, of course, I didn't write the guy's name down and, should, and then I'm going to be the guy that's making, delivering this message instead of somebody else. But it blew my mind because I never thought about it. Because like I said, we're always, you know, we're training for how to use mm-hmm. Excel. Bad example. But yep. not how to, no, good example. how not to, li- you know, like, you got to put that data in. Somebody's got to give you that. So, right. But it sounds to me like some people, at least because you've been able to make a career at this, are trying to break down that wall. Yeah, and and so this is so again, I'll kind of generalize, call it the world, the business world has made a lot of progress on what it means to develop the emotional quotient in organizations. Organizations are made up of people you know you have to sell products people sell products you have to deliver things people deliver things so you know a lot of uh, I, I spent 2019 traveling the country keynoting at chief information officer chief technology officer um, forums and the the message was the same you're talking about the left brain part of the organization said look we can get the technology right, but it's the people part. If we don't get that right, then we fail when we're doing digital transformation. And so that's understanding the heart of that. I think organizations are getting their arms around it. There's, there's a couple of things that, that I believe. One is that it is, it is hard for what, because we've been in so much of this hard skill, as you talked about, that's what I call the telling, talking, and knowing. That's been the paradigm for so long. It's almost like the food paradigm. I I remember as a young athlete, we thought, you know, eating carb loading and (laughs) low fat was the way to go. (laughs) I miss those days uh, because we know now that that's not how the diet works. But it it takes a big, you know, reframe to get people to want to eat differently because carbs are good. And talking seems really easy. Uh, because it's what we know. So to flip the communication paradigm, which is what our mission, our company mission is really to create that listening mission where we're flipping that paradigm and saying, no, more of your time really needs to be spent listening. And when you do that, you will deliver better results. We can measure them, but we're just not used to looking for them. That's part of what's been missing. So we have to be able to measure those results. The other thing is EQ development feels impossible. 
And, you know, there's a lot of money spent on executive coaching in organizations, and I, we do coaching. What I realized as an executive coach, because uh, that's where I started my business, is that I was having the same conversations repeatedly with people, different people, the same conversations, and fundamentally it came down to communication breakdowns. And fundamentally that communication breakdown was not what was said, but what was understood. And so what, what I've really done is created a common language around how to understand to fast track and be more efficient in the communication process. And as a byproduct of that, the, the emotional quotient goes up. You don't really have to just, you don't have to focus on building EQ. Listening raises everyone's EQ. So let's dive into that for a minute because this this fascinates me because I'm looking at a, a chat room full of people and I'm sure some people are hearing us tonight and some people are listening to us tonight and we're delivering the same message to all of them. So how do we mm-hmm. capture 90% of them instead of 60% of them? Well, I think you have, if I, if I get you, you're trying to, you want to make sure that people understand what's in it for them. Yeah. And so that they they go, Hey, this, this matters. Let me put time on task. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think, again, I think that's part of the, that, that flip. And that, that's why the book is what is it costing you not to listen? You can't solve a problem you don't know you have. What I know is the answers to that question are profoundly similar whenever it is asked. I've never asked the question, is listening important? Anybody's raised their hand and said, no, it's not important. It is a universal 100%, yes, it, yes, it is. Then I say, well, what have, what have you done about it? And again, it's very little because it's expected, it's taught, not, it's told, not taught. And so then, unless we feel the pain, of what it costs not to listen. We're not going to go to the solution. So that's really the first thing in your business, in your personal life. Um, where is this problem hitting you? And if you ask yourself that question, I guarantee you that that problem shows up for each and every one of us. And fundamentally, it comes down to relationships, personal relationships, business relationships, which leads to divorce. That's costly, right? <laughs> fractured, you know, fractured relationships with family. Um, in business, we lose customers. We lose employees. Retention is huge. The pandemic has made that more difficult and, and so on and so on. If, if you go to digital transformation and, 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 you know, the technology side of the business, it's really how do you uncover the real needs rather than what's asked for? Uh, you know, implementing a new a new technology is wildly expensive, but what I've learned from the best leaders in in this space is that it's much more expensive to have to re-architect than the original implementation. So the the more you get right the first time, the less costly it is in the end. So tell me out here, what kind of technology are you talking about? Because I'm fascinated because I'm sitting here thinking we're talking about listening, which is something I have to do, but you're telling me there's a program that people should be using to aid in the bed this? Well, maybe not aid in the bed. That sounds kind of criminal, but nevertheless, go ahead. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is that one of the things we serve and what we do to help people when they learn how to listen to key stakeholders and uncover what's really needed rather than what's just being asked for, they save a lot of money. 
and and a lot of time and a lot of a lot of difficulties within that organization because those digital transformations are huge and they're very costly to organizations. So typically, and probably part of what we do when we listen, it's just we often solve the wrong problem because we're not taught we're not taught how to listen for the real problem. We just react to what is said is the problem rather than really knowing how to get to the root cause. When you listen differently, when you listen to understand, you get to the root cause. I've, I've heard that you let people just talk until they talk themselves out, especially when they're angry, I guess I should frame it that way. Is that, is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that accurate? Because well, uh, maybe, maybe it's hard for me because I'm just wanting to be, I don't want to say a fighter, but I can't think of a better word at this point. So, yeah, well, so so one of the inhibitors to listening is that we, we do want to fight, right, especially if we disagree. Listening is really not about agreement. It's a, it, 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 it has very little to do with agreement. It's more about how do you create alignment. It's, it's whether I understand you will allow us to align, but we may not agree on things. So that's, that's a different matter. But listening is, is not a passive endeavor, not when you listen to understand. When you listen with the tools that, that we teach organizations and people, you learn how to be a guide in the conversation so that you're not only listening differently and getting the real meaning of the message, you're also doing it more efficiently. So, you know, I often, and I wrote this in the book, I joke, like, Tom Brady can throw a football, and so can I, right? <laughs> it's just the speed in which, and proficiency with which we do the skill. Well, Tom Brady, he's practiced, so we know that's one thing, but he also knows exactly how to throw the football. He knows where to put his fingers on the thread. He knows how to take his arm back. He is, he has the tools and skills to know how to do that in the most effective way, and and through that, he's also efficient. He can thread the needle. Same is true when you're listening. Yeah, we can just let somebody vent or talk and let them wear themselves out, but that's a long way to go to get to the same outcome. What, what we want to help people do is listen so that, because time is money and time is relationships, so the more you can do this, not only more effectively but more efficiently, the better off you're going to be. Right. So, now I was told this years and years ago, so laugh with me at this moment, but it, it, I believe it's true <laughs> and I've always valued it. The best way to listen is make sure both feet are on the ground. Hmm. Tell me more. I, I, it's just because if you're not fidgeting or fussing with anything mm. else, you're just sitting there with your feet on the ground. And I don't want to say squared up on the person, but you know what I'm saying? Like giving them, I guess it's body language, right? Like I'm just saying I'm projecting that I'm listening to you. Mm-hmm. Is that is that is that so, part of it? Or is that just something somebody t- taught me to act look more like I was paying attention when I'm not? <laughs> well, you're so these are some of the so I don't want to dismiss it out of hand, okay? Because I think look, the, we're again, the brain is our greatest enemy of listening. It is screaming at us to do everything but listen. It's just part of how the the brain has a lot of highways that it can go to, and there's a lot of distractions both externally and internally. So those kind of techniques, I'll call those techniques, are to help you stay more in the present moment. I, I believe that's like white knuckling it and that we've simplified it much, much more than that. It's, it, I'll liken it to this. 
when you're watching a movie, when you're interested in the movie, do you have to put your feet on the ground to pay attention? No. Right. You just are engaged in the movie. Because movies tell stories, right? They tell stories in a pretty coherent way. And even if it's a bad movie, we can kind of follow it. Part of the problem when we're listening is people aren't great storytellers. We're wired to learn through stories, but we're not wired to tell them effectively. That, again, is a skill. So when you're listening, if you listen with the right tools, you actually help somebody become a better storyteller, and then you become engaged in that because you're not just waiting for them to get to their point because they may not know how to do that. They're lost in the woods, too. So when you're guiding them on, on the right path, you don't have to focus on how to pay attention. You're watching a movie you're interested in because you're, you're directing it as well as you're watching it. And so the conversation really changes dramatically. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Okay, so on the other side of that coin now, because we've talked about how we should listen, and you're, you're, you've mentioned storytelling. I've wrote it down on the side of my sheet because I want to ask you about it, and then we're going to do it right here. So the best way to keep people engaged is telling the story, but like you said, people aren't necessarily intuitive to be storytellers, so how do we get better mm-hmm. at that? Well, so here's, here's the good news, and, and then I'll take you back a little bit more into my story and, and, and how this even came to be. So, so the, the good news is that when you learn to be a great listener, we call that story gathering. You're lo- learning how to gather a story. The map to gathering a story is the same map it is to telling a story. And, and here's how they link together. Part of listening is, you know, what I believe is the most powerful story you can tell someone is their own story. So when you tell me a story and I gather that and I listen well and I'm able to tell that story back to you, I'm all, I'm becoming a storyteller and you are, you're going to be hooked to what, what I've heard and what I share back to you. And so they, they link together. So when you learn to listen, you learn to tell as well. It's why it's part of what we do as an organization, but we don't lead with that. It's just a natural byproduct, just like emotional intelligence or your quotient going up. When you learn to listen, you listen not only well to others, you understand others, you also learn to listen to yourself. That's the foundation of EQ, self-awareness and others' awareness. That's, it's, it's the byproduct of. So, so I was an athlete, um, particularly in my younger days. I'm, I'm still an athlete, but I was a competitive athlete. And, um, and one of the things I used to say and still say is, I, I'm, I'm a gal that doesn't like to run. If you told me to run three miles, Jim, I'm, I'm no way. But if you threw a ball, honestly, I would chase it for three miles and wouldn't, like, I'm like a dog. I'm, you know, I don't retrieve it over and over and over again. That brings me joy. If you said, let's learn how to tell a story and I just sat you down, that's a hard, that's like, that's like running. But if I give you the tools how to, to do that and it's just a byproduct, then you're chasing the ball and you're not thinking about it. The same with EQ. You're learning to listen, you're building your emotional quotient, you're chasing the ball, but you're not, you're not thinking about running. Well, I don't want to think about running either way. Um, right? Just like you. <laughs> well, it's more fun to chase a ball, in my opinion, although I, I respect the runners. But I think we just make it harder. That's a, that's a long way of saying we make things harder than they need to be. 
and really we can, this it's about teams to get simple and simple and easy are not the same thing but you, you if you start with simple everything gets easier so so one time years ago and again not a, not a great runner i was a, a really competitive athlete in college and beyond and i had I put field hockey was my sport of choice since you're from pennsylvania you'll understand that um and uh and so i was i had really good stick skills and was highly competitive but i wasn't the fastest and when i was in college between my junior and senior year i i was living in college and a friend of mine was on the track team and she said let's go out and run sprints. And I was like, uh, okay, like, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> she was on the track team. Uh, so, you know, we're at the, we're on the football field. We're at the, on the end line. She says, we count three. We're going to go to the 25. And I'm like, one, two, three. She said, go. And I mean, honestly, she was almost at the 25 and I took two steps and she turned around and looked at me and said, you don't know how to run. And I went, what? I know how to run. I've been running all my life. <laughs> and she goes, you don't know how to run and so she took me back and she literally said put your knee here put your arm here put your finger this way put your very detailed and showed me how to take the first step the second step and with the precision that she knew how to do it I wasn't the fastest athlete after that but I got exponentially quicker and faster which only elevated my game further because she showed me how so when we talk about listening differently, it's not what to do, it's really how to do it. And when you know the how, you elevate everything. But it, it doesn't have to be so complicated. We've just never been taught how. We've been taught things like put your feet on the ground, which may help you a little bit, but you're still white-knuckling it. Uh, it probably helps me more than I realize because, well... <laughs> Anyways, I have all those things going yeah, so, on in my mind, and I needed maybe maybe that's maybe that was good for me. We'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah. So, well, you okay? Well, I wrote down before I called you. I wrote my 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 list of words. You know, I don't like questions or anything, but the second thing on my list was break down walls. And I got you on the phone, and you immediately, well, almost immediately, busted my chops. <laughs> Which is a good way to break down somebody's walls, which normally if the guest is tight, I'll try to do, be on the other end of that, right? Like trying to get them to loosen mm-hmm. up a little bit. So mm-hmm. how important is that when you're listening or trying to get somebody to tell you a story? Well, so I'm <laughs> glad you noticed that. Um, listening does break down walls. So here's what I heard. We got on the phone and immediately you made a very deep sigh. And I said, oh, that was a deep sigh. And then we started talking and you started, you know, and I said, long day. And then we started having the conversation, but, but I was listening for your, what you were saying to me and how you were saying it. And so I just reflected that. I didn't tell you anything you didn't know. I just said, Oh, that was a deep sigh. So that's, that's one of the things that listening does is you learn to pay attention to what's said and not said. And again, I'm only using the tools that I wrote about. I, 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 this started very, very young for me. I'll just take your listeners back. So why am I even in this field and why do I call myself a listening guru? So I was, I was five when I started to listen differently. That's my earliest memory. Uh, I had two major influences. As you know, I, I, as you mentioned, I grew up in Hershey. Um, my father was an entrepreneur. Um, he started his, he, he started his career as a, um, chicken feed salesman. He graduated from Penn State as an agriculture major. 
sold chicken feed. They call him, I hope this is okay to say on your show, but they call him a chicken shit doctor. Nope, that's good. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> because the shit you fed the chickens mattered because it either made them healthy or sick. And my father used to, he would have been 90 today, by the way. This would have been his birth, 90th birthday. He passed away last year. But I still remember him telling me that the professor told him, you're just a chicken shit doctor, Charlie. That was my dad's name. <laughs> uh, so... So anyway, but he he turned that into um, that successful first entree into sales into selling for Connecticut General Life Insurance Company at the time, where they really trained reps. This was where they had a select few, and they trained reps not only on the products and the process and the Excel in your world, like you said, but also how to understand their clients. Because you couldn't do financial planning for them. This is what he would talk about, unless you knew and understood them intimately. So my father was a really good listener. He would also attribute some of that to therapy, that he went through therapy. Uh, the other side of the story was my mother, and this was really the, the most profound of the influences. She had mental health issues that she came by very honestly. Her, her mother had died from childbirth. Um, so my mother lost her mother and, you know, basically felt like, you know, she was the cause of that from the beginning of her life. So it was my job and the family to understand that the woman that showed up in the room was charismatic and funny and warm and loving, but underneath the surface had this tremendous pain. And so I was, I learned very early to see both and understand that what was on the surface wasn't all that was going on. And between that and my father, there was a language around listening. And really what I've done is, you know, I, I started to overachieve as early as high school because of that skill that I had and developed young. And whether it was on the sports field or academically, I was overachieving well beyond what I should have because of my very rather average capabilities because I had this other superpower, so to speak. And um, I've, I've seen throughout my career that the reason I've succeeded is often the reason people are failing whether it's a project or leadership or a business, because they have other things, but they don't have this thing, or they're not reaching enough potential because they don't listen in the way that I was taught. So, so that's where this comes from. So what I've done is gone back to my beginnings and really deconstructed how to listen in, in a way to see what goes on, not only on the surface, but below the surface. And, and that solution is called the listening path. It's the path to the story, and on that path, there are six primary tools the meaning and uncover the insight, rather than just pay attention to what's being said. First and foremost, I've got a bunch of people in the chat room saying, uh, pass, our, pass our condolences to you about your father. 80, 89 years old, that's a great life. And, uh, well, happy yeah. birthday, too, of course. I mean, it's still his birthday. And... Chicken shit. Sorry, but that's where my mind just went back to. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would appreciate that till the very last days. Can I tell you something? By the way, that's so sweet. That that's so nice of your your listeners to 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 share that. I really that means a lot to me. My father, when he you know he was eighty nine, he had a good life. He died of natural causes. His body just shut down, and so he kept slowing down over the you know as people do over the course of as he was you know basically dying over the six months. And I'm coming in, you know, I'm I'm at a pace like now where I'm talking fast, and and it was so interesting because it was like putting a movie on slow motion. I would come in the room, and he would he would use all the tools that I've outlined in the book, and he one of the things he would do, and this is really important part of listening, is interrupt. 
And people don't realize how much interrupting matters when you listen well. The difference is not interrupting to tell or talk, but interrupting to understand. And so my dad would go, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You're going too fast. I need you to tell me that again slower. And then he'd stop me and say, wait, wait, wait. Make sure, I want to make sure I understand. And so it was just like, it was like a beautiful thing to watch and experience with him where our conversations would have been at a different pace to see him, even in, as he was slowing down, he genuinely wanted to understand everything I was saying and made sure I came to his pace so that he could get it. It was really kind of neat. That is a powerful thing because often people like to hear their own voice. I'm guilty. I mean, obviously. Uh, hello, what could I do? Uh, but it is it is interesting to think about interrupting being a positive thing. As long as we're interrupting for the right reason. So I just want to make that caveat because we interrupt anyway. Yeah. It's so people are afraid to interrupt. It's like you said, somebody's talking and we think we just have to let them talk till they wear out. Sometimes, like I've been on an airplane where that can take a long time, and that's not fun for the listener. And again, once when you lend that kind of an ear, somebody will silence will beget somebody talking more. So we have to be in charge. We have to guide the conversation. The CIA said silence sucks the truth out. So the less you, you know, the more silent you are, the more somebody will talk. But that's not really, that's not good listening. Good listening is guiding and making sure you know where you are in the story and helping the other person get there. So interrupting, as long as we're interrupting to understand, is, is a very powerful thing to do. And, and just as another kind of hint here or, or something your listeners can, can take away, nothing makes me feel less understood than someone telling me they understand what I just said. Or, yeah, I understand. To me, that just means, what? <laughs> You're just ready to talk. You need to show somebody what you understand, not just tell them that you understand. That that doesn't do the same thing. So would be repeating back part of what you just said be better served for that conversation than I guess it would be yes. because <laughs> as I'm talking yeah. and thinking at the same time, that's always okay. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good. So so now you're coming to your own insight, which is what good listening does. But absolutely. Now the problem is we only retain 17 to 25% of what we hear. So the, in the absence of having the tools, we're not going to retain well to be able to repeat well. When you have the other, the tools, and one of the tools, the tools that we're, we're talking about now, we call that the flashlight. When you're listening and you've heard the story, how do you shine a light on the important parts of, of the story, both facts and feelings, and, and tell that back to the person that was talking? And so that's, again, that's how you become a storyteller, but it's also how you validate and show somebody that you understand, or it's the step to making sure if you don't understand that you figure out what you missed. So carrying that flashlight with you and using that rather than responding with what you're, you think you should be saying is a much more powerful way to be in the conversation. So I'm going to ask you an awkward question at this point. Well, it's not really awkward. It's just kind of not necessarily where we just were, but it's it's important. Because I think about, you mentioned COVID and how it kind of slammed on or changed our world. And def, well, I mean, mm -hmm. I guess we're kind of getting back, but they're still part of this. And it's, it's Zoom meetings, right? 
And I, ha- I, yeah. I almost bought a sticker the other day, and it says, I survived another Zoom meeting. It should have been an email. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, right? how do we avoid having those Zoom meetings that should have been an email? I mean, besides the obvious. But obviously, it comes back to, again, like probably storytelling, right, and leaving people feel like they've, they've learned something. Am I on the right track mm-hmm. here? You, you are. So it's, meetings are challenging, even in person. We know that, right? So we have meetings about meetings, death by meetings. It's been around since the beginning of meetings. Since they scheduled so, the first exactly. meeting, it's all their fault. <laughs> exactly. So, Anna-Marie, where did it start? So that's the first problem. This is not a new problem. It's only been, it's only been punctuated and, and dramatically um, made worse because of Zoom. Because it's hard to it's hard to cue in meetings, and now you're now you're having people who are truly just half in it. They're multitasking. They're not present. They may not have their camera on. It creates an inordinate amount of chaos behind the scenes that it looks silent, but it's really not. It's it's epidemic in those Zoom meetings. So it, it's even more important for the person who's hosting or facilitating that meeting that they listen well, so they bring people together so that the meeting is more effective and more efficient. And, and again, we teach this as part of how to listen and, and guide that conversation as well, whether it's in person or, or whether it's virtual, because it, it, we just don't have the emotional bandwidth for we're getting exhausted. And I knew this was going to happen um, because part of my story is I, I was injured in an auto accident when I was, 28. I was playing competitive field hockey. I, you know, I tried out for the U.S. team once already. I was playing club hockey, um, and I had three years of chronic pain. And then I had at 31 tried out for the U.S. hockey team again. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to make the top 16. It was like going to baseball camp, uh, but I was in the top 60, so I was very proud of that. But you know, six months later, things kind of took a bad turn. I couldn't pull, pull up my shorts. My my body finally said the accident kind of caught up with me and so I went into my own version of a lockdown and I had 10 years where I really couldn't do much of anything except you know physically um as athletically as I was used to so I kind of fought my way back and and I knew when the pandemic happened I was like this it was fascinating to me because to watch everybody be in the same boat I was like this is what I went through before but I wasn't I wasn't alone and I thought people have no idea what they're in for no idea. I knew because I had had that happen where my world changed in, a, in an instant. Um, and it, and I was fortunate because I had the tools to kind of avoid some of the pitfalls. But emotionally, it's, it's really hard to be all your life to be taken out of your control like that. And there's a tsunami effect here emotionally that we haven't even seen all of it. You know, the more we hurt, the more we hurt others inadvertently, whether we mean to or not. And so this is where we really need to help people tune in in a different way. So maybe this this is the old question I get around here. Now I'm, I'm going to throw it to an expert. I'm listening. Notice this, folks. She's the expert. <laughs> people, you know, people have said, "Oh, you should do two hours. You should do, mm-hmm. you know, longer or more." Or, and I'm always kicking back. No, I want to do less. Like, I'm, cause you know, the attention span's getting smaller, right? We hear that all the time. These, yeah. y- these young kids today will have their TikTok, which is what a minute or three minutes at most. Mm-hmm. How long, how long can people actually listen for? 
Well, I think so. That's such an interesting (laughs) question. So So don't tell me two hours because I'm going to hang up on you. Just no, (laughs) no. So I get. First of all, here's what: if I get you, I think it's 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 emotionally harder than people realize. You may make it look easy; it doesn't mean it is. This is what I know: people, when somebody makes something look easy, it usually isn't. It takes a lot of effort, thought, work, and so. My sense is, from hearing you, that it's like uh, you want to do it well. You don't want to just do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, I agree. I, I, that's so, that's very, very true. Yeah. Now, so now let's I, pull it back think, to the broader question now, I guess. Yeah, so so the broader question is, I don't look, I don't think we go to just because. There's a lot of podcast radios that shows that are well beyond two or three minutes. It's about the kind of conversation you create. One, one of the things that I wrote about in the book is the importance of studying great listeners. And those great listeners, as I said, are journalists, interviewers, and therapists. Those are the, you know, in terms of occupationally, are some of the best listeners. So let's look at Howard Stern. You know, how long does Howard Stern interview a guest? He, he interviews for an hour, just like you, because he creates a conversation, slows down, and creates moments. And so it's the kind of conversation you're creating. It's just like a movie. People will watch it if you're creating something meaningful. If you're just trying, looking for a quick fix, that's a TikTok moment, right? That's, that's a dance move, and then you move on, or a little, a little tip. But I think you're creating more of a conversation. I think that's the appetite for more. But I can appreciate why it's it can feel like that's enough. But I, I think I, it's the, it's whatever the zone of conversation is. No, I, I don't I, think we play to the stereotype. We should though. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, what can you really find out in two minutes, right? That's that's the reality. Yeah, that's the fun part. Okay, so Germantown Runner just popped up this question. I'm going to read it. I'm going to go Ron Burgundy on you because I have no idea. The Hershey Bears okay. are the first hockey team. Only freestanding points out of first place in the AHL's Atlantic Division. Are you attending games this season? Oh, I, that's, I feel almost ashamed to say I haven't been in a Hershey Bears game forever. And I went to high school. I'm going to say a name that this gentleman might know. Danny Stuck, I believe, was in my high school graduating class and at the time was the trainer for the Hershey Bears. I believe he still is, by the way. Danny Stuck. So I have not seen a game but um, I saw many in high school, and I think Danny Stuck still works for the Hershey Bears. We'll find, I'm sure somebody will find out for us because, you know, yeah. the Internet. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I should know this. Um, another listener question here. What What do you do if your company has a dismal record of not listening to its employees? What do you do? Yeah. Well, a lot of people – I'll tell you what a lot of people do, and I don't think it's it's helpful – they, they go on a listening tour. They'll say things like, we're going to go out and listen. We're going to do a survey. Um, we try to get feedback. And I, I think that's the right effort, and I'm all for it, but not in the absence of the tools and learning how. So, look, it, you could tell me I have to change a tire. If, I, if my tire blew out on the way home and you said, Christine, you have to change your tire, I'd go, well, that's a good idea. I don't know how to do that. I know how to get somebody to do it for me. I know how to, you know, flag for help. I know who to call. But if I physically had to do that, I know better that I don't know how to do that. So I think because we assume we listen when we put good intentions around it, that we do it well, and we have this second 
foul or second harm that comes when we say we're going to listen and then we don't. And so that's the risk that organizations take. They, they say they're listening and they intend to listen well, but attention and impact are two different things. So what I believe should be done is that we need to arm organizations with a common language of listening. This is what, you know, our mission is and what I've written about is how, what, what is the common language? What does good listening look like? And when everybody's armed with that, conversations change dramatically, people connect differently, and engagement goes, goes way up. So we're just putting the wrong solutions on it, I believe. So give me more about this common language, because we're both speaking English, so that, I think that's a common language, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah the common language is how, what does good listening look like? How do you do it? And, and, and again, we, we talk about this in the story. It's the, it's the path to getting the story and the six tools on the map if you're hiking in the woods. You need the map. You need to know the stops of, of where you are on the path or the story. You need to use the most powerful questions when you're listening. We call that the compass, so you stay, stay on the correct route. We need that flashlight. We need a water filter because we contaminate the story, and we need to make sure we're staying in step, and we call those the footprints. When you have this common language and people know what it means to listen well, it changes. It be, conversations become, you know, two-way instead of one-way because we now know what good listening is and the dynamics change. I had a guy tell us just a couple months ago that after going through the listening path work, workshop training, he said, we were all in a meeting. We started to go way off another, you know, realm, and somebody just said one of the six most powerful questions, and they all kind of laughed and went, okay, we, we need to get back on track. It was a cue for them because they had a common language. And so we get off path all the time, and this is what creates frustration, disengagement, um, time wasted, money wasted. We, we throw things and resources at things that we don't need to. Now that, that there, my friends, is a key because how much time have you wasted hearing about somebody's Aunt Sally? Anyways. Yep. Uh, so uh i know the book's on amazon but why don't you go ahead and give me that um that stuff that everybody wants to hear where they can find you and the book and all that other stuff sure so first of all i believe that i wanted the the book to be in the format of choice so it's in every form you need audible kindle hardback softback amazon barnes and noble you go to my website that's equipped eq on purpose U-I-P-T, P is in Paul, T is in Tom, dash people.com. But it's, it's, all you have to do is, is go to Amazon. You can find it. That's, that's the easy thing, going to Amazon and find it. Okay, so speaking of major corporations, everybody's been watching Elon Musk and Twitter doing whatever he's doing, good, bad, and indifferent. Mm-hmm. How do you take on a new job like that? Maybe not Elon per se, but you just be, you just became a CEO of a major company. Yeah. How, how do, how do you um, walk in the door day one and kind of, because we've talked about listening and empathy and that's a whole, that's going to be a culture change. So where do you even start? Yeah. So, so I, I talk about this in the book and this is one of the things that about listening to yourself. So one of the things that we have found is really helpful for new leaders in new organizations is for them to become known very quickly 
in the organization and not known for what they've done or or who they are, but really, you know, who they were from a very young age. And so it's really, we call that the my purpose story or what it, why do you do what you do, not just what you do. And when you meet people starting there, you really open up a different kind of dialogue and then they're more likely to do the same for you. So I, when I was in my early 30s, I started doing diversity training in organizations. And again, from Hershey, at the time, very little diversity. I, you know, it was a very white populated, you know, um, very similar looking kind of uh, population that I grew up with. And so what I, what I thought is, I don't know anything about diversity, and I'm 30 years old when I went out and did this training. And, and what I found out was, obviously, we're all diverse. It's not just based on skin color. But people make a lot of assumptions about who you are based on just that first impression. That's, that's the basis of bias. So I'd always introduce myself, tell somebody a little bit about myself, my background, who I was. And what I started to do is I wouldn't do that when I did diversity training. I would just simply say, you know, hi, I'm Christine Miles, and I want you to guess what you think what we call my primary and secondary dimensions of diversity are. Primary are the things you're born with, secondary are the things that you come by. So what was interesting is no matter where I went, no matter who the audience was, how diverse or not diverse it was, and the answers were always the same. They thought I was from an upper-class family. They thought I was Catholic. Neither of those were true, by the way. They thought I was married with two kids. I was married, but not with two kids. They thought I was either from Connecticut or from the South. Um, you know, it was just like, where is this coming from? But people make that impression. They sort very quickly. And so what I realized even more so is I better let people know who I am before they decide who they think I am. And that's part of why I think it's important to share who we are. In my case, I, sh I shared about where, why I became, got into listening. It's a big part of why I do what I do. That word is, you know, my purpose is really understanding because I believe it's a key differentiator to being successful when you understand yourself and others. So when we enter new teams or new organizations as leaders, it's really important to let people know who we are and why we do what we do. And that's an important story to be able to tell. So I want to flip that coin a little bit too. Say somebody is listening to this show and has been at their in that CEO role for ten years now, and they've mm -hmm. really, they've listened to our show tonight and they've had the light bulb moment. They need to listen more and do things differently. Mm -hmm. And you know, because if somebody comes in tomorrow and says, I, "I heard this great show last night, and I'm going to start listening more," we're all going to laugh and well, maybe not laugh directly in their face, but we will eventually laugh. Right about them because they you know had this epiphany that's going to last two weeks, but how do they take that? I'm assuming there's a lot of the similar same first steps, but how do you win somebody's? I want to say trust back, or maybe win trust mm -hmm. for the first time by listening to them. Well, first of all, you know it's amazing how we've had people who've known each other for 20 years and don't understand where they come from or who they are. Like it's it's a revelation. To we just did this you know, a month ago with the team, we're going to work with them again on um, this coming Monday, where they've worked together for eight years, 10 years, and they didn't, they didn't know who they were, their backstory. And so the connection, it, it's never too late to do that. Let me just say that, whether it's day one or day, you know, 10 year in one day, it's never too late to start there. And then, then the listening gates really open up. When you go first, what we know, and you're vulnerable and you talk about who you are, 
people are more inclined to follow suit. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, I think again, when you when you if you want to start listening differently, don't only talk about what you're going to do, but how you're going to do it. And that's something that people can get. We can help with, but also they can get from the book, listening to it or reading it, is really to understand, hey, not only am I going to listen, but this is how I'm going to listen. And I want you to challenge me if I'm not listening in that way. Because the old habits die hard, and this is part of skill building. We just have to practice and practice and practice our way to success. We, we had a client who said, this works every time I remember to use it. <laughs> I was like, that's great. That's like the best commercial I've ever heard, right? So every time, but because it's so new, again, we're changing our, 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 our diet. We have to be patient with ourselves and realize that pivot's going to take some time. This is also why when you have not one person just pivoting, but you have an organization putting language around this, it creates a culture of listening, which, is, which means things get adopted and happen more and, and, and happen faster. Yeah, it, it's always easy to say something, right? I've said a lot of things. We're not going to talk about some of the things I've sure. said. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I want to know more. That's for sure. But no, well, but you know, it's it's all you know when you're especially when you're trying to promote a product. It's maybe I don't want to say disingenuous, but there are times that you overhype something, or you know. Mm-hmm. But sure. Not not intentionally misleading people by any stretch of the imagination, but but there you have to come. You have to eventually hit the ball, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. wherever it goes, it goes. And um, yeah, so okay, so one more thing here. This this, this came up in a I don't want to say eavesdropping conversation the other day. I was part of, but it, I wasn't necessarily the primary focus of the conversation. Um, there are times was that a relief to you? Was that a relief <laughs> to you? By the way? Yes, it was because well, when when you hear the rest of this, you'll understand. Um, these um, two men were talking about talking to their spouses, and then you'll understand here in a second where I'm, where I'm headed. And um, sometimes they just need their wife wants them just to listen to the conversation and not try to give advice or fix the problem. How, sure. How sure. often? How especially in um, in marriages? How often is that the problem? How often does people just want to be heard and not necessarily have that? Well, so women do want this more than men, I believe, but they're both guilty. We're problem problem solving is is. And anecdotally, it is the most reported reason for for not listening well, that we hear a problem and in an effort to be helpful. And by the way, I'm going to let the men off the hook. I think they want to be helpful. Who wants to see their wife in pain? Like, let me help you solve that problem. And the response is, I just need you to understand and listen. That's almost like, what do I do with that? Again, this is why it's so helpful for men. They get language around just how not only to listen but to be helpful too because part of this is earning the right to give advice and to to do that. But listening isn't just passive. Again, listening is making sure not only it's heard but also the person feels validated and understood. And that's where some of the tools get you there. And again, I had a, this is a true story. I had a guy in a workshop say, (laughs) it used to take my wife nine hours to tell me about her nine hour day. I don't have that kind of time. I started laughing. I go, you're not married anymore, are you? He goes, nope. (laughs) I said, well, that's a shocker. So part of the problem is, and, you know, of course, he's being somewhat facetious, but he didn't know how to control the conversation. And so just listening meant that she would talk 
incessantly. And so that's also overwhelming. That's too much to expect. So when you learn to listen to not only validate and to understand, but to do it more efficiently, conversations become more meaningful. And then that also enhances the relationship. So, so we do tend to problem solve, but I don't think we should just be passively saying, yes, honey, yes, honey. There's a lot more that we can do efficiently, and that has, is way more impactful than just letting somebody talk. So my listeners are begging me to ask you, which is, this is fun. Have you, have you ever had any paranormal experiences? Because that's what we normally talk about around here. Oh, have I ever had any paranormal? So, so I don't know if this is part of being so in tune, but I, I haven't seen a ghost or anything like that. Um, although I did have a weird experience with my mother after her death, like finding a coaster with her name on it, which I was sure wasn't there. But I do have a lot of, like, uh, I will have premonitions quite a bit. Yep. Well, that's um, definitely something that's not normal. Yeah, it's not. I, no. I, I knew I wasn't normal, but I do. I'm like, I already lived, I already dreamt this or saw this before. It's like a deja vu. So I'm premonising it and then experiencing it. That I'd say that probably happens to me 10 times a year. Well, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I've had it happen a couple times in the last five years. So, I mean, 10 times a year is pretty much. Okay, so. Wow. What does that mean? I need to understand this, Jim. What, tell me more. What, what do I, I need I, to know? I don't, well, means if you get some lottery numbers, you need to go buy a Powerball ticket. <laughs> no. Well, that's not the kind of, I wish. <laughs> I wish I could control it. Um, I don't have the control over it. I, and I wouldn't say I'm psychic. It's more like, uh, I don't, it feels like I'm just in tune with something in a, on a different level sometimes. Well, there's that. I'm sure there's something. I don't know. That's that. Like I said, I don't hear about that that often, so that's kind of a, hmm. a new... Well, I mean, there are people that say that, but it seems, you know, that but they have the old the old full boat that goes with it, right? They're staying in the earring and, you know, this the standalone aspect of it's kind of fascinating. Hmm. So, All right. Well, I'm going to take that. I'm special, but I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, it, it's... Well... <laughs> <laughs> could be worse. Um, so... I normally ask favorite breakfast around here. So what's your favorite breakfast? Oh, well, if I'm out, I'm just, everything's a grand slam. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's eggs, it's bacon, it's pancakes. Um, but uh, no matter what, if I'm at the Ritz-Carlton or if I'm, which I'm not there very often, or I'm at a Denny's, I don't really care. It's all the same <laughs> breakfast. Uh, at home, I, I'll have, you know, I, I like a, a, a Kodiak cake, a protein pancake, because I try to, take care of my body so that's what i did it's i generally eat in the morning and and last question from the girl from hershey what's your what's your go-to hershey's uh chocolate wow oh this is like cheating on them um well you know there's nothing wrong with a Reese's peanut butter cup and now it comes in so many different versions i was gonna say there's there's so many versions of that thing now i I was joking with my kids the other day i said you know the problem with you kids is there there is uh sour patch kids cereal right now Oh my! Wow! That's, what that, happened to Lucky Charms and Captain Crunch? Yeah, like right? you, you know, like now, that. now you have too many choices in cereal and too many choices in candy. If you wanted the well, peanut butter know, cup, you got a peanut butter cup. Bam, you're done. It's, it's you know, I got to tell you, I, and again, my background's in psychology. It's all these choices that are making us so anxious. It really is. That's a whole I, other subject. I believe that completely. <laughs> it, it's too much. It's too, it's too much to decide. Which is part of, you know, I'll pull this back to the listening part, which is why it's really important that you listen to yourself and know thyself, or you can get really overwhelmed, really overwhelmed. Well, I appreciate tonight's conversation, and I hope we all take a little bit something from it.
Well, I, I hope so as well. Thank you for having me on. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, so there you go. Let's, let's all try to be better listeners, and uh, I think that went pretty well tonight. Yeah, well, the Duckmaster hit the post. I, I've got it, the stage cleared now, so we can definitely hit it. Okay, at the bottom of Mallard.com right now, bottom left, I think it is, there is a new subscribe forum for Substack. Go over and get yourself a free membership or a paid membership. A um, lot going on over there. A lot of fun things. Germantown Runners are. That's all you need to know. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.